right, so you should have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes by now. Uh, last week, we covered the, the first ten verses, and in doing so, we saw how uh, under the sun, we all share a common destiny, and that common destiny that's shared by everyone is the destiny of death and the grave. Today, we're going to have a transition from, from talking about dying to actually living. In verses 11 through 18, we see all that we all share an uncertain future of the life that we live under the sun. And so once again, Ecclesiastes confronts us with some of the frustrations of life in a fallen world. Remember back in verse number 2 says that the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. And so the preacher offers some counsel on something that he's observed from his own personal life. And that wisdom that he shares is that things do not always turn out the way that we expect them to. Sometimes things do not happen or occur in the manner in which we logically think that they should You see, ability and hard work do not guarantee a successful outcome. Results are often determined by unforeseeable circumstances. And so the preacher provides five illustrations to support this position, and he does so in verse number 11. He says, I again saw under the sun that the race is not swift, And the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. And so while it is genuinely true that the fastest runner will win the race, or the mightiest soldiers will win battles, or even the smartest and most skillful workers will win the best jobs. Buddy, you need to sit down and be still. While it is true that these things often happen, it is also true that a race is not always won by the fastest runner. A victory in battle is not always achieved by the mightiest soldiers. The wise, discerning, and skillful are not always the ones that earn a living or the ones that get rich, nor are they always the ones that will acquire a reputation or good favor among others. In short, human ability is no guarantee for success in life. At any moment, disaster can overtake any one of us. And so as the preacher says, for time and chance overtake them all. Now, don't be confused with that word chance. Uh, chance should not be interpreted as a reference to gambling, luck, or misfortune. Rather, chance is seen as these situations that someone cannot be prepared for or foresee. These are factors by which no man has any power or control over. And so this phrase does not deny the sovereignty of God. What happens in life is not some random, unpredictable accident. 
No, we know that everything is under the wise providence and the sovereign control of our Heavenly Father. However, from our perspective, there's still a problem. From our perspective, the problem is that no matter how strong we are, no matter how smart we may be, or no matter how much ability we may have, bad things can still happen in life. And there's no way to predict it. There's no way to, to know when or if these bad things will happen. And so earlier the preacher told us that there's a time for everything. That's Ecclesiastes 3. Here he tells us that we don't know when that time will be. He says man does not know his time. Again, look at verse 12. Moreover, Man does not know his time. And so the preacher is going to illustrate this truth with a pair of vivid images that he is drawn from nature. And he says, uh, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Comparing such times of misfortune to a net or a snare by which birds and fish are caught, the preacher said that evil times come suddenly and unexpectedly upon us. You see, the the fish and, and the birds are caught before they know it. If they realized that they were swimming into a net or flying into a snare, then they would have changed their course of action. But by the time that they were trapped, it was too late for them to escape. And this happens in life. Time and chance can happen to us all. You see, from the rest of verse number 12, which talks about a treacherous net and an evil time, it's clear that when the preacher is referring to chance, he's not talking about something that is good. Rather, he's talking about something bad that happens in life. You see, in, in a fallen world, the unexpected things happen every single day. And some of those unexpected things are, are good, they're pleasing, but also some of those things are, are harsh, they're difficult, and they're painful. Life is unpredictable. And so no matter how gifted or prepared we may be, no matter how many advantages that we may have in this life, hardships may fall upon us at any moment. Life's hardships are inevitable and unavoidable. And in His mercy, God has told us that we can expect for the unexpected things to happen in life. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So then also, at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And so the question becomes, then how should we respond in life when these hardships occur? We, we can't predict them. We don't know if or when they're going to happen. So when they happen, how should we respond? How do we live with the uncertainty of knowing that something bad could happen at any moment in life? Well, fortunately for us, the, the preacher gives us some great insight into these questions. In fact, he commends the relative value of earthly wisdom by telling us to, to live wisely. He does this first by giving us an example of someone who is wise, and that example is found in verses 13 through 15. And then he compares wisdom to several less advantageous alternatives, and that's found in verses 16 through 18. So let's break these down. Let's start with the example, picking up in verse number 13. It says, Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Now, although some commentators have treated this story as a parable, most regard this as a true account of an actual historic event. And I too believe that the preacher is talking about something that actually happened. He is speaking about something that, that he has seen for himself. He's not just inventing a story. No, he witnessed this for himself. And he says that a poor man, a poor man who was wise enough to save an entire city. And the question becomes, well, did he save the city or didn't he? And the reality is, it's not really that clear. It's not really clear whether the poor man actually delivered the city or could have saved that city. You see, the Hebrew that's being translated as delivered also allows for the translation of could have delivered. There's a little secret. I tend to believe that the translation is more accurately to be understood as could have delivered. Because I think the could have delivered fits within the whole context of what the preacher is trying to say. So, follow with me. The little city was besieged, right? And there was a wise man, a poor wise man, who could have delivered it. But the text says, but no one paid attention to him. No one remembered him or his wisdom. And so the preacher is giving us an example of what wisdom can do. Happy is the city that has even one person who is wise enough to rescue its citizens. However, not everyone will listen to the voice of wisdom. 
So the preacher shows the value of wisdom by comparison. He says that wisdom is better, wisdom is more valuable than physical or military strength. Look at verse 16. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. You see how that connects to the poor man that could have saved the city if only the city would have remembered him, would have valued him, would have listened to his wise words. You see that the first comparison reflects the irony that wisdom outranks strength. The preacher has already informed us back in verse number 11 that the battle is not to the warriors. And yet if the, the person who possesses wisdom is not duly respected, then those wise words fall upon deaf ears. Sometimes people just outright refuse to listen to the words of wisdom. And this is one of the preacher's main points throughout this section. If we are wise, then we will listen to wise counsel. Scripture testifies to this truth in places like Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 15. It says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19, verse 20 says, Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. So here we have the first comparison that wisdom outranks strength. Now let's see the second comparison. Look at verse 17. It says, The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Verse number 17 describes a loud mouth leader. Do you know of one? We often know that the loudest voice is not often the, the wisest voice. And so this ruler got his own way by shouting everyone else down. It's not likely that his inner circle would have been able to give him any solid, sound, good advice anyways. As it's being described, he was surrounded by fools. And then this happens all the time with the shouting and the loudness of the voice on people that, that yell and scream in order to try to get their way in some situation. It happens all the time. Happens with the person that tries to rule their family through shouting and yelling. It happens with those that try to run their business. It even happens from, from those that seek to take control of their church by throwing their weight around and by doing a lot of shouting and yelling in the process. I'm not shouting or yelling. I'm preaching. you understand how easy it is for one proud and angry person to damage a marriage. How easy it is for a, a loud mouth individual to divide 
a church, or even to destroy a nation. There is a better way to lead. And thankfully, the preacher shares that way with us. Look at the final comparison. It says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. One sinner, like the loudmouth ruler in verse number 17, one sinner destroys much good. Uh, we see examples of this throughout all of Scripture. I think of places like Joshua chapter 7, where the sin of one man, Achan, the sin of one man led to the result of 36 Israelite soldiers dying in battle. And an entire nation whose heart melted like water in fear. All because of the sin of one individual. You read it in places like 2 Samuel chapter 15, the revolt of Absalom. The revolt of Absalom, his sin led an entire nation into a civil war. We see it in examples on uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 with David and Bathsheba. Their sin led to the death of their child. Twelve chapters later, chapter 24, David's sinning again. This time, his sin brings about a plague and 70,000 individuals lose their lives as a result of his sin. I mean, the greatest example that we see and all of us experience is the sin of Adam. His sin brought death and condemnation upon us all. And so death is unavoidable. Life is unpredictable. And so the only course that we can safely take in this life is to yield our lives into the hands of a God and that loves us so, and then we to walk by faith, trusting in Him and following His Word. It's to yield ourselves and to walk by faith. And as we walk by faith, we have no need to fear death because Jesus has conquered death. Revelation chapter 1 says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. It is through the sin of one man, the sin of Adam, that we have all been brought into the bondage of sin and death. Oh, but it is through the obedience of another man, Jesus, our Savior, that, that, that we can be delivered from the penalty of death, the practice of death, and the presence of death. See, because we live and because we walk by faith, we don't have to look at life under the sun and cry and bemoan, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. No, rather, because of Christ, we can echo with confidence the words that the Apostle Paul gave us. He says that, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. 
in vain in the Lord. Allow me to to wrap this all up with a a simple summary for chapter 9. Summarize all of chapter 9. I would say the the overall message to us is just stop worrying about the outcome of all your efforts. You cannot predict nor can you control what will happen to you in this life. Therefore, do your very best at everything that you do. Enjoy life. Enjoy all the blessings of God. Enjoy them to the fullest. And when you work, man, find your place of work and and work with great energy and great effort and then leave the results to God. You can't control it. Trust in Him. Trust in that He will act in accordance to His will. And God is sovereign over all. So enjoy life. Live it to the fullest. Enjoy the blessings. Work and labor, not in vain. Do so to the glory of God. You can trust Him with whatever results He brings in this life. And if you experience hardships, you can trust in God in the midst of your hardships just as much as you can trust in God in the midst of the blessing and bounty of life. May we trust in Him. May we live for Him and honor Him and glorify Him in all that we do in all that we say. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for for this church. Father, help each and every one of us to live a life of full submission and surrender unto you. Now may we stop being fixated on, on thinking that we can control certain outcomes in lives. God, we have no control. But what we can control is our our efforts. So God, help us to have a proper mindset in the things that we do. Help us to have a proper commitment to do these things, not for our glory, not for our advantage, but that you might be glorified and that you might be praised. And in the end, Father, we know ultimately that our success will be determined on our faithfulness to the calling in which you've placed upon our lives. We're not judged by success, by the outcomes on on man-made standards, Father. No, we're successful through our obedience and our faithfulness to your word and to your will. And may this church be a collected gathering of believers that are all in. We'll hold nothing back. Nothing back in our love, in our service, in our commitment that we're all in and glorifying you and making your glory known. And in this moment, as we think about the, the words that were shared and the truths that were expressed, Father, I pray that you would help us to make decisions and commitments that would honor and glorify you. We give this time unto you. May you be pleased by what you see in us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.